This episode of Pod Cemetery is brought to you by Chateau Carlisle Apocalypse Cabernet. Featuring blackberries, vanilla, and notes of autumn, Chateau Carlisle, you're in luck, it's drinkable. Hello, my name is Chris. My name is Kelsey. And this is Pod Cemetery, where we dissect horror movies like the rotting corpses that they are. And it's zombie sequel week. It's zombie week. It's zombie week, but we're going back to the well for, on two different franchises, which are 1968's Night of the Living Dead and 2007's 28 Weeks Later. We originally did Return of the Living Dead and Day of Dawn the Dead. Of the Dawn Dead. of the Dead, rather. Well... Return of the Living Dead is not a part of the original franchise. It was made by one of the original rights owners of this one and intentionally used that name to attach itself to the franchise, even though it's not plot-wise. Okay. But anyway, and 28 Days Later was in our very first episode. So if you want to go back 127 episodes, you can go back and listen to that one. But before we get to the movies, Kelsey, how do we start the show? Horror trivia. Give me what you got. Good Ash, Bad Ash, I'm the Guy with the Gun. Name the movie. Army of Darkness. Yes. Kelsey. Yes. This is a question I actually don't expect you to get per se, but it's going to lead us into our Night of the Living Dead discussion. What was the original title of this film before it was called Night of the Living Dead? Zombie? No, actually. They never refer to them as zombies. As a matter of fact, George Romero didn't even consider this a zombie film. In his mind, he said in the past that zombies to him were the ones that were down in the Caribbean. You know, you hear folklore about those people that are poisoned to have their hearts slow down so much that they um, are thought to be dead. Then they're buried and then you have these people come and dig them their bodies back up and revive them and then they're basically mindless slaves like the god of lobotomy and they just do work on fields for you. Uh, That was the original sort of version of zombies that people knew. It was this movie that completely changed people's perspective on what zombies were. Zombies were not flesh eaters before this movie, but that's the key. The movie was called Night of the Flesh Eaters. Ah, They just thought, hey, if the undead came back, what's the most fucked up thing they could possibly do? And that was cannibalism. And so they're like, okay, great. Cannibalism. That's what our undead will do. And then just people started calling them zombies. And that's what it is now. But here's the thing about Night of the Flesh Eaters. Where we see Night of the Living Dead, there was a title card that said Night of the Flesh Eaters, and it had all the copyright info. Back in 1968, you needed copyright info displayed on your product in order to actually claim a copyright on it. That's not the case anymore. I think it changed sometime in the 70s or something like that. I'm not sure of the exact date. But 
Walter Reed, the producers of the film, they were afraid that it would be confused with a movie that came out in 1964 called The Flesh Eaters. So they decided to change it to Night of the Living Dead, and they took it upon themselves to change the title card. What they did not do when they swapped out the title cards is they did not include the copyright info, and so it immediately fell into the public domain. So obviously that you don't have to do that anymore. It's not a requirement anymore, but this is like the big scary tale of Night of the Living Dead, how they don't own it. And we'll get later into how much money this movie made and how little George Romero actually got. Not only as a result of the copyright issue, but also as a result of getting completely screwed in his contract by Walter Reed. But yeah, people started making bootleg copies. There's literally nothing they could do about it because they didn't own the copyright to their own thing. Anyway, that leads us right into our discussion of 1968's Night of the Living Dead, written by John Russo and George Romero, directed by George Romero, starring Dwayne Jones, Judith O'Day, and Carl Hardman. What is Night of the Living Dead about? The recently deceased come back to life. And I think they say unburied, too, don't they? At one point in the movie, they say unburied, as if they don't come up from the graves. So the recently dead are coming back to life and feasting on the flesh of the living. Yeah, that's basically about it. Now, the movie is fucking everywhere. So you don't need to worry about finding it. If you have a subscription to Amazon Prime, you can get it there. Hulu... Netflix. It's literally everywhere. As of last year, Amazon had listings for 13 different versions on VHS, 130 different versions on DVD, wow. 12 on Blu-ray, one on Blu-ray 3D, and 56 versions on Amazon Video if you wanted to stream it. And I we first started watching it on some service, maybe Stars or something like that, whatever came up first when we looked for it on our Apple TV. And I was watching it. I'm like, no, 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 no. There is an HD version of this movie. I know it. <laughs> and so I started navigating through all the different services and they all fucking sucked. Even the ones that say, oh, this is a transfer from the original real HD. And no, it's absolutely not. Just don't fucking bother and just go to YouTube. The <laughs> best version is on YouTube. So just watch it for free on YouTube. <laughs> Should people watch it? Oh, absolutely. It's a part of cinematic and horror history. Yes. Like, you kind of have to watch it. Yes. You could take our advice or leave it. But when we get back, we will talk about 1968's Night of the Living Dead. Welcome to a night of total terror. Night of the living dead. The dead who live on living flesh. The dead whose haunted souls hunt the living. The living whose bodies are the only food for these ungodly Dead. More shadows. 
shattering than your strangest nightmare. All right, Kelsey, get us started. How does Night of the Living Dead begin? Well, first of all, it's all shot in black and white. It is. Was that because of money issues? Or was that just a style choice? I'm not positive that this was a direct influence on black and white, but apparently Carnival of Souls, which came out like six years prior. Yeah, exactly. Wow, you just pulled that. That's incredible. How did you just pull that year out of your ass? I don't know. (laughs) Yes, six years earlier in 1962 was a big influence on the making of this movie for George Romero. So that might be why it's filmed in black and white. Ah. And yet nobody wants to listen to Carnival of Souls. Yeah, that's one of our least popular episodes. (laughs) It's a really good movie. (laughs) Oh, but it was paired with that other god-awful Carnival movie. Oh. Oh, God. What was that called? (laughs) It was terrible. The spirit stuck in the carnival and there was a clown and, oh, it was garbage. What was it called? I don't remember, but it makes perfect sense that Carnival of Souls would be a heavily influence oh, on this. Oh, yeah, absolutely. That makes sense why she's as fucking dumb as she is. She is very dumb. She's very dumb. Okay, so I'm, I'm going to talk about this now. We'll get into the number of spinoffs and stuff like that. This movie was remade in 1990. Originally, Tom Savini was going to do the makeup effects for this movie. But he couldn't because he was serving in the army at the time. So instead, he was brought on to Dawn of the Dead, where he did the effects and he's actually in it as one of the bikers. Savini himself later remade this movie in 1990 and in color. We did not decide to bundle these up. We'll watch that version another time. But I just thought there that that was really interesting. There are tons of zombie movies. Yes, there are. I just thought that that was really interesting that Savini, of all people, is the one who remade this movie when he actually had nothing to do with it, even though he was going to be involved. And it didn't end up becoming involved in the franchise until later. In that remake version, apparently the Barbara character is much more action-oriented and stronger than she is in this version and so she's she she's more of the like final girl tropey kind of thing than she is in this where she some at some times can't even think or talk and just freezes in this movie yes and i'm not saying that you should never have a character that does that and they do have another female character that's kind of strong, but she's barely in the movie. There are two more female characters, not including the daughter, who we never really see do anything sober, I guess is the term. But it is frustrating that a lot of the film, she's our main female character, and she just kind of... Well, that's the thing. Because she's one of the characters that introduce us to the movie... We assume she's a main character, but she's a main character in an ensemble. The actual main character of this movie is Ben, played by Dwayne Jones. That's why I specifically kept saying female. (sighs) No, but I mean, I understand what you're saying, but I'm like, she's just a side character. We just put more weight into her because she's 
one of the first characters we see that and she introduces us to this. But as you'll see in the next movie that we end up talking about next week, being introduced to a character in the intro has doesn't inherently have value. <laughs> True. We've got a car coming up the road and then we meet the people inside. Barbara and Johnny, who are brother and sister and are here to place flowers on their father's grave. Johnny hates this yearly tradition because it is a very long drive and they left very late today, meaning that they won't even get home until past midnight. They're walking out to the grave and he's annoyed because he can't even remember what his father looked like anymore, but he does this for their mother. But Barbara doesn't mind what they're doing. It's the where they're doing it that bothers Barbara. She does not like being in a cemetery. And Johnny starts to make fun of her for this. This is when we get the famous line, they're coming to get you, Barbara. Because he's he's making fun of her for being afraid of dead people. And then he sees this old shambling man. Hold on, hold on. Before we get there, can I just say that I always used to say... One of the two, they're coming to get you, Barbara, or they're coming for you, Barbara. And every time I said it, either way, I felt like I was fucking it up and the other way was the right way. He says both. (laughs) It's first, they're coming to get you, Barbara. And then she says, you're ignorant. They're coming to get you, Barbara. Stop it. You're ignorant. <laughs> Which is usually your your line, if you yes. want to say that. <laughs> You're ignorant. And then when he's chasing her, he says, they're coming for you, Barbara. They're coming for you, Barbara. Stop it. You're acting like a child. And yes, then he sees this man in the cemetery. They're coming for you. Look, there comes one of them now. Now, of course he's not going to think that it's a zombie that wants to eat people, but... The guy could be anybody. Right. It could just be a crazy person. You don't know. Right. And he, like, pushes his sister towards him as a joke, but the guy attacks her. So Johnny gets in the middle of the two, and she ends up running away into the car, and the zombie runs after her and ends up trying to get into the car and actually smashes the window. So and not just by wildly maneuvering. He goes around, looks for something to throw at the window, grabs a rock, and throws it at the window. Yeah, it's interesting because you never think of zombies as being intelligent, except for the movies in which they are famous for being intelligent. Yeah. So it's funny like when Day it's of the like... Dead. What? Like Day of the Dead. Yes, but it's funny because it's like right here in the very first one... A guy looks for a tool to use. Well, this is why it's so much fun to go back to where certain tropes and trends started. And you find out that it's actually way different than you originally thought. Like, for instance, go back to the first Friday the 13th. Jason's barely fucking in it. You go to the first one where he's the main villain. He's not even wearing the fucking hockey mask. You go to Dracula. There is... There are tons of different versions of Dracula films. Almost none of them get all of the elements of Dracula right that's in the book. Like, oh, is he vulnerable to sunlight or isn't he? Does garlic send him away or doesn't it? Like, does he sleep in a coffin or doesn't he? You go back to the original and what's popular now is not the same as what the original was. And so really these tropes build up over a lifetime of different things 
adding and subtracting things to the general zeitgeist. Well, I think I said this when we watched Return of the Living Dead. I think that might be where the whole brains thing comes from. Yes, I think that's accurate, actually. Is actually saying brains because and also the, the, the slime eating zombie of brains because here zombies eat flesh. They just eat flesh. Yes, but so the radio is starting to tell them something, but he switches the radio off, which will become a thing that they will do in almost every zombie movie ever. Uh huh. Test. Back on. Oh, uh, ladies and hey, gentlemen, good. we're coming back on the air after an interruption due to technical problems. When Johnny gets in the middle, the guy ends up throwing him, and he hits his head. Yeah. But does he get bitten? I can't remember. He doesn't get bitten. I mean, really early on, a bite did not necessarily transmit the virus. You just had to die. This is actually where The Walking Dead gets it from. That's what happens in The Walking Dead. You just have to die. Now, a bite will kill you. Like it does with the little girl in this one, but it's not a transmission vector. It's not a virus that spreads. Somehow that got built into the zombie mythos. She gets into the car, as we said, and the guy will break the the glass. But of course, the keys! The keys! The keys! Oh, the keys! Johnny has the keys, which will come up later. But she pops it into neutral and the thing rolls down the hill. And ends up hitting a tree. Famously, this was like the car that belonged to one of the parents or something of one of the crew members. And she it was her actual get around car. And so she was still driving it while they were making the movie. And she hit something. <gasps> and there's a big noticeable dent on the side of the car, like a giant dent. And so that's why she hits a tree at the end there. And it looks so weird is because they had to explain away that dent on the car. Oh, that's funny. Yeah. So she gets out of the car and she runs towards a farmhouse that she sees. And this girl is not a runner. <laughs> no. <laughs> kind of like Phoebe and Friends. Yeah. And she gets inside. She goes upstairs and finds a corpse. Now, how that person died in such a bizarre way, we'll never find out. Why it never rises from the dead, we never find out. Very strange. Yeah. But it looks... Like, its eye is, like, hanging out and stuff. Like It's it a looks, ping pong ball, and it was made by George Romero himself. It looks like it was destroyed, but why and how? We don't know. No idea. So she screams and runs outside to find... Ben. Ben in his truck. Ben, played by Dwayne Jones. Barbara is Judith O'Day. Now... I think this is one of those things that everyone kind of just knows about Night of the Living Dead now. The filmmakers were not trying to say anything about race with this movie. They just thought that Dwayne Jones was the best guy to cast for the role. That's literally all there was to it. It, But by the fact that he is a person of color and the events unfold the way they do... It is often seen, despite the intentions of the filmmakers, as a commentary on race relations in the nation at the time. It was 1960 fucking eight. So it's kind of unavoidable. But that's not what they That's just, not what they intended they just to needed do. An actor. Yeah, and they and they really liked him and he yes. was great. As a matter of fact, they say uh, George Romero says if he could go back, he would change the character of Ben to be a little bit more stoic and not as aggressive 
and angry as he gets in this because apparently Dwayne Johnson is just this really even tempered guy, really smart and really calm and centered at all times. And so he was trying to push the character more that way. They were trying to push him more erratic and they kind of landed somewhere in the middle. But in retrospect, George Romero was like, I wish we would have gone more towards Dwayne's interpretation of it. I, I like, I kind of like that he landed in the middle yeah, because it made him feel like a real human being. Mm -hmm. Whereas the father in the cellar will feel like a caricature. Yeah. And I think if they had made him too erratic, he would have felt like a caricature. Yeah. But if they had made him too even, he would have just felt like when you're playing a video game and you want to make sure everybody likes you. Yeah. (laughs) I think having him sometimes get upset and get irritated with Barbara, but at the same time be kind and protective towards Barbara, I think that felt realistic to me. Except for the time that he punches her in the face. Yes. Aside from that, now she gets really angry at now, him. She and does hits slap him, him, but still. <laughs> he, but then he does punch her. But she was freaking out. It's you know I had to stop her screaming. Then. I had to stop her screaming. <laughs> I had to stop her screaming. He reminds me a lot, and I think that this is intentional. He reminds me a lot of the character Lee from the Walking Dead Telltale games. Yes. I think Lee is very specifically based on Ben from this movie. I I can totally see that. That's a really good observation. But yeah, so she's too, Barbara is too shell-shocked to speak. She kind of goes to the stairs to kind of lead him towards like, here's what I saw. Here's why I'm freaked out as much as I am. And he kind, once he sees it, he kind of gets it and kind of stops being such an asshole to her. He explains, we really should get out of here. We have to find where there's other people. I wanted to, I came here because I saw there's a gas pump, but the gas pump is locked. I'll find some food. As he's doing that, she, like, finds dripping blood and it drips on her. And then she looks outside and there's a bunch of zombies destroying their car for, I guess, because they're intelligent to know that cars are their way out. Yeah. He ends up having to kill a bunch of them. Yeah, I mean, so, listen, a lot of this movie is, is there are moments where the zombies are trying to get in, and it's not important, but they fight them off. He ends up setting a fire. He realizes that fire scares yeah. them away, so he sets fires to keep them out. And Chris and I were both like, why doesn't that burn the house down? Yeah, I would be afraid of that burning the house down, but it doesn't. It never becomes an issue. Even when they start throwing Molotov cocktails later. Yes, and good thing that they were able to find these planks of woods wood yes. in the house that they're able to board up the uh-huh. house with. No explanation. Although we do see him taking apart a table. Right, no, and he does like a bunch of do. stuff, but he also does just find a bunch of planks yeah, there's of there's way wood. more wood than the actual, and, it's, and as a matter of fact, you can see at some point there are numbers on them. Ah! Because they're supposed to be put up in a certain way, mm-hmm. and sometimes when they put them up, they put them up backwards. And she's being totally useless, and he says to her, I know you're afraid, I'm afraid too, but you've got to help me. I know you're afraid. I'm afraid too. But we have to try to board the house up together. Now, I'm going to board up the windows and the doors. Do you understand? We'll be all right here. We'll be all right here until someone comes to rescue us. 
She stands by the window to which I wrote down, get the fuck away from the window, you fucking yeah. idiot. Uh-huh. He ends up telling her his story, explaining that he ended up plowing through a bunch of them with his truck because they just wouldn't move. Yeah, see, he's a truck driver, so you can see why their intention was to make him a little bit more rugged and rough. He explains that they scattered through the air like bugs. Uh-huh. I realized that I was alone with 50 or 60 of those things, just... Standing there, staring at me, I, I started to drive. I just plowed right through them. They didn't move. They didn't run or just stood there staring at me. Just wanted to crush them. They scattered through the air like bugs. And then she starts to tell him her story, and he doesn't seem as interested in her story as he was in telling his story. Not at all. Uh, But she does start to kind of repeat herself, and she's kind of being all over the place with her story. And calm down. (laughs) Yes, this is when the punch and the slap happens. (laughs) And it's shocking when he just straight up, like, decks her. (laughs) It's like, oh my god. But at this point, like, she's been so irritating that you don't really care, but it's still fucked. It just, it feels like Sean Connery talking about how sometimes it's okay to hit a woman. Yes. You did an interview in which you said, it's not the worst thing to slap a woman now and then. As I remember, you said you don't do it with a clenched fist, it's better to do it with an open hand. Mm. Yeah. Remember that? Yeah. Yeah. I I didn't love that. I haven't changed my opinion. You haven't? No. Not at all. You think it's good to slap a woman? No, I don't think it's good. You I don't think, think it's bad? Must, I don't think it's that bad. I think that it depends entirely on the circumstances and if it merits it. Yeah. He lights a chair on fire. He finds the shotgun and just tons of bullets, which is good. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Ammo is never an issue in this movie. No. They end up getting the radio on, which tells them that they are they are devouring people. They are eating flesh. It's difficult to imagine, but these reports have been verified. And this is when we meet the people from the cellar. The Coopers. So at first it seems like, oh no, the zombies got in and they're going to attack Barbara. But then we find out that it's just Harry Cooper and they've been downstairs in the basement. Harry and Helen and their daughter Karen. And Karen is not feeling so great. And so they're taking care of her in the basement. And... Now these two parties are getting mixed up because they're in the same building. Well, it's them, but it's also the the young couple. Oh, right. Totally forgot about Tom and Judy, who are like the young college couple. Yes. This is probably the most Judy is is the like the female character who's the most even tempered and Well, the mom is the strongest. Yeah, but she gets hysterical later. <laughs> so they meet Tom and they meet Mr. Cooper. And Mr. Cooper is going to be a major, like I said earlier, a caricature. He wants to be right. He wants to stay down in the cellar. He's just scared, but he wants to be the man of the group. He wants to be the leader, even though he's not the leader. And he just is making stupid arguments that we should stay down in the cellar. And Okay, it's not stupid. Our main guy explains that's a, that's a death trap. Right, because if you go down there, there's no other way out than right in here. But later on in the movie, you'll find out that he was entirely right. And it was the absolute safest place to be in the entire house. But nope. <laughs> He's going to make the argument that they should stay up. And he convinces Tom of that. But the problem is Karen is downstairs in the basement, the daughter. And so they have to take care of her some way. 
our main guy is also like, what the fuck? You heard this girl screaming. You knew shit was happening and you just stayed down there? Uh (laughs) Uh-huh. I knew something was going on, but why would I risk the safety of my family if I had no idea if I could do anything to help? We don't risk our lives just because somebody else needs help. Right. So on the nose. For all we knew, that could have meant those things were in the house afterward. And you wouldn't come up and help. Well, if there were more, the racket sounded like the place was being ripped apart. How were we supposed to know what was going on? Now, wait a minute. You just got finished saying you couldn't hear from down there. Now you say it sounded like the place was being ripped apart. It would be nice if you'd get your story straight, man. All right. Now you tell me. I'm not going to take that kind of a chance where we got a safe place. We luck into a safe place, and you're telling us we got to risk our lives just because somebody might need help, huh? He ends up convincing Tom to stay upstairs, and so Judy joins him. The guy goes downstairs, and his wife is like, what the fuck? Why are we still down here? There's a radio and a TV up there. We Uh need to get the fuck out of here. But they don't want to leave the daughter alone, so they they send Judy down to sit with her. Uh And so she'll go upstairs to listen to the TV and the radio. And this is when she will say to her husband that it's important for you to be right and for everyone else to be wrong. Yeah. Just hitting his character right on the nose. We'll see who's right. We'll see. When they come begging me to let them in down here. That's important, isn't it? What? To be right, everybody else to be wrong. What do you mean by that? She, But she says dying together isn't going to solve any of our problems. So she ends up going upstairs he is complaining about everything. First, he says there's too many holes that the that they'll get through the walls. And then he says now there's too many planks of wood and he can't see how many people are out there. Yeah. He's just finding every little thing to complain about. And so his wife yells at him, why don't you help instead of complaining? Why don't you do something to help somebody? This is when we get the TV news broadcast, which explains the reason why this is happening. You want to explain it? Does it, though? They say maybe. It's a theory. So apparently the filmmakers have said that we don't ever actually find out conclusively what the cause is. But the thing that they're theorizing at the time on the news as this outbreak is happening is that a satellite that's returning from Venus and thus is bringing Venusian radiation back to Earth, exploded in our atmosphere and spread that radiation. And that's why the dead are coming back to life. It is entirely, I guess, based on chronology. They're like, well, this happened and it's weird. And then now this is happening and it's weird. So uh, it must be connected. But we don't actually know. Meanwhile, downstairs, the daughter still not talking, but, but the mom goes down to check on her. And she says, I hurt. Yeah. Baby, it's mommy. I hurt. Doesn't have a lot to say. No. The people on the TV explains that as soon as somebody dies, you must burn the body immediately so that they don't come back. Yeah, I know it sucks. You can't have a funeral, but you need to burn them. It's just dead flesh. Just drag them out into the street and set them on fire. (laughs) They decide that they're going to get out into the car and try to make a run for it or something. There's a truck. They're going to take the truck, but it has no gas. But there is a gas pump out near the barn on this farmland. So they find the keys to the the fuel pump. Meanwhile, 
Barbara just keeps saying, you can't start the car. Johnny has the keys. And they're like, she is nuts. <laughs> we know that this is the truck that belongs to this farm. Yeah, anyway. So Ben goes out with a torch. Torch. It's a it's a table leg wrapped in material like a curtain and set on fire. And the husband is throwing Molotov cocktails. Yeah, from upstairs. And Tom and Judy, well, first... Tom is going out and he's going to drive and Ben's going to get in the back and they're going to take care of this, just the two of them. But Judy's like, no, I'm going too. Then she gets out and then she panics. She realized she can't turn around and head back to the house. So she jumps into the truck afterwards. She had second thoughts, but it's too late now. (laughs) She gets in the truck. Ben gets in the back and they're fighting off these zombies as they go drive out to the barn. When they get there, they find that the keys do not work. And so Ben is forced to shoot the lock off. Of a gas pump. Okay. <laughs> and then he does, Tom takes it and swings around and there's just gas getting everywhere. And then it hits the torch, which is lying on the ground. <laughs> and so that lights up on fire. Everything the, is on fire. The fire is getting close to the truck and it ends up lighting it on fire. And... Tom and Judy both die and drive away to get it away from this gas pump, but the the truck ends up completely being engulfed in flames and explodes. Which Chris says is not possible. It not like that. It'll catch on fire, and it'll pop and stuff like that, but it won't blow up like dynamite. The husband tries to leave the other guy out to die. Yes, and so. Ben, when he finally makes it back in, he just starts beating the shit out of Harry. Mm-hmm. Just I should take you out there and leave you to die. Wailing on him. Mm-hmm. It's like, dude, you can stop now. <laughs> he gets the point. This is one of the downsides of the movie. The fight choreography is garbage. <laughs> it is so bad. Oh. In a sort of like campy, entertaining way, but it is really bad. Oh, I love it when he swings. Oh, yeah. It's Boom. not... It's a swing that would have no force behind it, and it completely misses him. Yeah. I'll just say it. I'll... You'll I'll, say it. I'll say own it. up to it. It still creeps me out, seeing them eating the stuff. I know what it is. Oh, yeah. It's still gross. It's just raw meat and chocolate syrup. Yes. <laughs> they said apparently it was really gross. I bet it was. <laughs> so they find out that the daughter downstairs has been bitten, and... I love the guy's, Ben's response. <laughs> Not what our response today would be, which is, oh, fuck, she's uh-huh. going to turn into a zombie. His response is, we don't know what kind of diseases they're carrying. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> this is what I'm saying. These tropes weren't established yet. What's wrong with her? How'd she get hurt? One of those things grabbed her. Bit her on the arm. What's wrong? Who knows what kind of disease those things carry? I like that there's another interview they see on TV or something, and he, the guy's just like, they're dead. They're all messed up. They're yeah. like, oh, they're all messed up. It's, all. it's like the sheriff or whatever who's leading the posse. Are they slow moving, Chief? Yeah, they're dead. They're all messed up. Oh, man, this is Fubar. <laughs> oh, yeah. Then we'll get to that in the next movie. Ugh. The guy is even too afraid to help his own wife, which will also come up in the next movie. Uh Uh-huh. His wife ends up getting taken. So the power goes out. This is when the zombies all start to attack. And things are going absolutely nuts. 
Helen is up against a window and she ends up getting attacked in a little bit. Ben is struggling to keep them out from getting through a door and he doesn't have the gun. So Harry capitalizes on this moment and grabs the rifle and tries to force everyone down into the cellar where he says it's the safest place that we can go. And he threatens to shoot Ben if he doesn't go. And he tries to make his his wife go down there, too. Ben grabs the rifle from him because apparently Harry's too much of a wuss to actually use it. Ben grabs it, turns it around and shoots Harry. Which might just be, in the gut. Which might be um, a little uh, overreacting. Yes, very much. But, but, he, but I mean, he previously chaos. locked him out. And, yeah, there's yeah. chaos going on. So Harry staggers down the steps where he finds his daughter. He crawls to And he to crawls her. to her and he reaches out to her. She gets up. But it's not for a loving embrace. Yes. Meanwhile, upstairs, Helen manages to get out of uh, the struggle she's in. And she goes downstairs to find her daughter, Karen, eating her husband. And she just switches off. She just screams. She stumbles back. She lands. Karen, the daughter, takes a spade and just stabs her. Again, using tools. Yes, exactly. Blood going everywhere. Apparently, the little girl, Kira Sean, I guess is her name, but Karen Cooper is her character's name, uh, was just like stabbing a pillow off screen, and then they were throwing the fake blood against the wall as she was doing that. Fun. So now all that's left is Barbara and Ben, but Barbara sees Johnny. Johnny. She ends up going stupid and just kind of Johnny and just like gets grabbed by all of them and just pulled into the crowd. And it's the first of one of those famous zombie scenes where you where you're safe inside and you get grabbed and pulled out into the crowd of zombies who devour you. Yes. So now we just have Ben. Ben's it. And he goes down into the basement because he's getting overwhelmed. He boards it up. And of course, it is actually the safest thing. He survives because of this. And if they had all just gone down into the basement in the first place, all they would have had to deal with is Karen. And then there would have been this dramatic thing about killing the guy's daughter, and there probably would have been a shootout because of that. Just like in Shaun of the Dead. Yes. What does he do to Karen? Does he just shoot? He just shoots her, right? I don't know. I think he just shoots Karen. Probably. But he survives until he starts hearing shots. I hate this part. She really does. And talking... And we get a lot of footage of these are the cleanup crews going around and they're they're creating pyres of bodies and lighting them on fire and they're shooting anything that moves in the head. And they come up to this farmhouse. Long story short, they come up to this farmhouse and Ben has let himself out and he's carrying the gun and he's holding it and he's looking outside just to see if there are any more zombies. At which point the sheriff tells one of his sharpshooters, get him right between the eyes. And he shoots which him. Makes no sense. Dead. Ben is now dead because they mistake him for a zombie carrying a gun. Now, maybe our modern perception of zombies, that doesn't make sense. But remember, in this one, they use tools and tools to murder. Even though we don't get a gun-wielding zombie until Day of the Dead, I think. Bub, right? Doesn't he carry a gun? I think. We were just talking about this with Houses October Build. Yes. And then the movie goes into, we get all the audio, but it's like file footage photographs. Of them dragging his body out, throwing it on the fire, and then the movie ends with credits rolling over actual footage of this pile on fire. And that's the end of the movie. What did you think? Any lightning round stuff? 
I mean, if you haven't seen this movie, see it now. It's it's horror history. Yeah, very much so. And there's a lot of stuff where you can see they're doing it for the first time and you can see where all this great stuff came from. It's really, really good. It's well shot. There's some incredible angles. Yes. Uh, they had they had cameras uh, and lenses that gave them great depth of field so they could do really artsy shots under things and from weird angles and you could still see everything you needed to see. But the editing is really bad. They took out an entire expository scene in the basement, which is why there's a jump cut. They break the 180 rule. Those elements really hurt it as being just sort of an all-around Indian unprofessional and not very film-educated production. I still like it a lot. Yeah, absolutely. It's great. But they're, it's not perfect by any means. It's not like they just went out and made the perfect movie. Right. It's it's rough around the edges. But I still enjoy it. Yes. And I highly recommend it. So what do you think it has on Rotten Tomatoes? 97. Holy shit, that's exactly right. 97, George A. Romero's debut set the template for the zombie film and features tight editing. What? Realistic gore and a sly political undercurrent. Nope. Wait. 89, Metacritic. The editing is not great. And I said earlier the fight scenes suck. Realistic gore, eh, I think because it was in black and white. <laughs> a sly political undercurrent. It's not racial. There's some reviewers that are like, oh, this is bringing the fight home for people. It takes place in the farmlands in like Pennsylvania. So like this isn't this isn't a fight that's happening on somebody else's turf like the Vietnam or Korean Wars. This is happening at home. It exposes Americans to that. So there's that element of it. But it's also just how shitty things are. Romero had this to say about it. It was 1968, man. Everyone had a message. The anger and attitude and all that's there is just because it was the 60s. We lived at the farmhouse, so we were always into raps about the implication and the meaning. So some of that crept in. So it wasn't like intended to be that way, but because they were kind of hippie filmmakers in the 60s, it's supposed to represent man's inhumanity to man or whatever, you know? Mm-hmm. Do you think 97 Rotten Tomatoes and 89 Metacritic is overrated or underrated? Maybe 97 is just a little high. What would you give it? I was going to give it a 90. I was thinking about 90. I think I'm going to give it a 90 as well. Yeah, I think that's good. Like I said, it's by no means perfect, but it is crazy influential and an easy watch, except for Kelsey at the end. She really can't handle that ending. She absolutely hates it. <laughs> she was like, she wanted to turn it off. She was like looking away. It was, that's the kind of shit that gets to Kelsey. That and bugs. Yeah. <laughs> and Chucky, I guess. I can't stand, like, because you've watched this guy's entire movie be not totally awesome, uh -huh. but you like him a lot. And yeah. then. Well, you can see why people thought this was about race. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Anyway, fantastic movie, Night of the Living Dead. Really recommend it. It's one of those must-see horror movies if you're any kind of horror fan. Yes. It was also incredibly successful. Said so We talk about this a little bit. When it was made, it cost $114,000, which nowadays is not quite, but close to a million dollars. 
1968 dollars, it grossed about 30 million domestic wow. and international. It did very well international. It did like 12 domestic, 18 international or something like that. Wow. Yes. So imagine well, less than a million dollars in today's money, over $200 million in today's money. It was a new money. thing. It was a new idea. Yeah. It hadn't been done. It made just absolutely incredible money. But number one, George Romero saw practically none of that. And number two, a lot of their opportunities were completely squandered because anyone could just release different versions of this. Somebody got their hands on a reel, converted it to a different film size, and played it in a different theater. And they didn't see a red cent of that. Like That's just how fucked that was. In 99, it was added to the Library of Congress's National Film Registry calling it culturally, historically, or aesthetically significant. That's the requirement to get in the film registry. It's also one of the last unrated movies because the MPAA had not invoked its rating system yet. It came out in, I want to say, early October. By the end of October, they implemented that system. So it's one of the last movies to not have a rating because ratings didn't exist. There have been plenty of sequels. The remake, which we said directed by Tom Savini, came out in 1990. Just this year, just a couple of months ago, actually a couple of months ago, just last month, Netflix took it off of their German version because apparently to this day, a version of the film is banned in Germany. And so the German Commission for Youth Protection wrote to Netflix in 2019 and asked them to take it down. So in 2019, they took it down. They just announced that they're confirmed that they did it just last month. So that's kind of crazy. That's really funny. All right. Anything else to say about Night of the Living Dead, Kelsey? No, I'm good. Then before we move on to our next movie... Horror trivia. Stuntman Kane Hodder is best known for his portrayal as what character? Jason Voorhees. Yep. Kelsey, you revealed you knew the answer to this without even being prompted. At the start of the film, Johnny and Barbara visit a cemetery to place flowers on whose grave? Their dad's. That is correct. All right, then moving on to our next film, 2007's 28 Weeks. Later, written by Rowan Jaffe, Juan Carlos Fresnadillo, Enrique Lopez-Levine, and Jesus Olmo, directed by Juan Carlos Fresnadillo, starring Jeremy Renner, Rose Byrne, and Robert Carlyle, except for Robert Carlyle, Rose Byrne, and Jeremy Renner, before they were ever really big. What is 28 Weeks Later about? So last time we checked in with Britain, it had been a month since the outbreak had happened. yes. Now we're checking in with Britain about seven or six months later. It's the sequel to 28 Days Later, only this has nothing to do with those characters. So it is about... Basically, nobody who was involved in the original one could make this one. It's not that they weren't interested. It's just that uh, Danny Boyle, he was doing Sunshine, I want to say, at the time. Killian Murphy couldn't do it. Um, The other woman, I forget her name, she couldn't do it. So they just decided, fuck it, we'll do it with a whole different set of people and tell a different story. So, Rumpelstiltskin. (laughs) Robert Carlyle, yeah. Robert Carlyle. (laughs) Oh, and Imogen Poots. She's in this. 
his story is that he thinks his wife died in the outbreak. Where he left her behind. Yes, and now his kids who were on a school trip have come home. Not from the school trip, but because everything was quarantined, they were trapped in Italy or something like that. So they're repopulating Britain, which I feel like they should have waited longer. I feel like... uh, so the UK's military has fallen apart and America has kind of taken over protection of the UK and they're running things and they're running this center in London, which is completely quarantined and but cut off. But you would off. think that they would wait until they have had a bigger. Nobody had seen any infected in like a month or two. Well, clearly they didn't do a good job. Right. Yeah. Anyway. Robert Carlyle is a is a big head honcho in this quarantine center, and his kids come back. Yeah, so they bring their ki- his kids back, and kids are stupid, and they do the something stupid, and the outbreak again. break Let's, happens again. There yeah. you go. That's the movie. <laughs> it's available on iTunes for four dollars to rent and fifteen dollars to buy. Should people watch Twenty Eight Weeks Later? Okay, this is probably only the second time I've ever even seen this movie. I have literally never seen the movie before this. And I liked it a billion times more this time than I did the first time. Probably because the first time I was like, what the fuck is this? Yeah, because it's not Not the the original. original. Yeah. But it's been, for us, it's been, what, two and a half years since we saw the original last? Mm Mm-hmm. So... We're not as precious about it, I don't think. I liked it better than I liked it the first time. I mean, sure, see it. I I mean, it's not one that I'm like, oh my god, you have to see this now. But I'd see it. And it's different enough from the original while maintaining a lot of the same style and elements of the original. It's not just telling the same story over again, which I appreciated. It's not as good as the first one, but I still liked it. Yeah. You can take our advice or leave it, but when we get back, we will talk about 2007's 28 Weeks Later. Welcome to London. We're heading into District 1, although District 1 is completely safe. Outside the security zone, London remains a wasteland. There are a large number of bodies still left to be cleared from the original outbreak of infection. How old are you, Andy? Twelve. I think that makes you the youngest person in the entire country. Welcome back. This is what it's all about, gentlemen. Family starting again. Did you like it? It's amazing. Are you going to tell us what happened to Mum? The last infected human died six months ago. We weren't here six months ago. Have you come into direct contact with the infected? Execute Code Red. Twenty-eight weeks later, rated R starts May eleventh. Kelsey, can you get us started? What happens in twenty-eight weeks later? We open on Robert Carlyle, who we know from many things. Yeah, but you called him Rumpelstiltskin earlier. Yes, he is Rumpelstiltskin on Once Once Upon Upon a Time. Time. He's also in The Full Monty. Right. He's also in Ravenous. Yes, Ravenous. (sighs) That's a movie. 
Sometimes I love it, and other times it's hard to get through, but I've watched it a bunch. <laughs> Something else, too, but I feel like he always plays kind of a coward. Kind of, yeah. Like, he just has that look about him like he's... Like a good person, but a coward. No, sometimes he's just, like, slimy and slithery and conniving, because he has that he has that sort of, like, <laughs> kind, of, kind of vibe to him. Sorry, Robert Carlyle. Plus, he's Scottish, and nobody can trust the Scots. Ouch. I'm uh, just teasing. I can say that, because I'm part Scottish. I'm Scottish, too. <laughs> We say that, but, like, you know, we don't know anybody who <laughs> lives in Scotland or anything like that. We've both been to Scotland. We have both been to Scotland. He was actually born in Glasgow, Glasgow, and uh, and we've been to Glasgow. Sorry, Glasgow. We were not big fans. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's just a, kind of a city like any other, you know? Yeah. I'm sure there's a lot of great, unique things there, and we did some fun things. We went to the... Necropolis, which was really cool. It was very exhausting, though, because it's on a big hill. So, Robert Carlyle and his wife and a group of survivors, I guess this is, like, right after the outbreak happened? Yes. They don't... That part is not totally clear. Well, they do say, like, a certain number of weeks later than this happened, and... Yes. But... So, this is very close to the outbreak. So... They're in a house, which at first it seems like they, like, they broke in, but then later he says that it belonged to one of the people. Yeah, the older couple. It's actually their house. Anyway, so they're there and they're collecting food and stuff, and we find out from the parents that the children have been sent off on some random school trip, thank God, so they're not affected. Well, it has been some time because this girl in their group won't eat her food because she wants to keep it for her boyfriend who's been missing for five days. Yes, yeah. So some time has passed. They're all telling her, get over it, face it, he's dead, he's gone. She stands by the window. She ends up paying the price. We hear the music from the original film. Which oh, you is- didn't mention that the kid showed up first. The kid shows up and he's supposed to be from Sanford. Sanford is not a real town. It's a fake town, like the one in Hot Fuzz. Mm-hmm. But the, there's a little boy shows up, and he's been chased by the infected, so he leads the infected there. Right. But so we get the same music from the original film, which is still very good, but maybe a little bit more heavily played and a little too much. Right. It's like, hey, remember the original movie? <laughs> and, okay, so we've talked about this before. We have a friend that does... Power hours, like video power hours for parties and stuff. And he he did one for Kelsey and it's all of her favorite movies. And it's really cute because before I ever really knew Kelsey, I saw her power hour and I was like, I want to get to know this person. <laughs> it was really cool. But he did a trailer for it. And in the trailer, like, so I can't hear this song without associating it with Brad Pitt's voice because it's in the trailer. It's this song playing. And then Brad Pitt is talking over it at the very end. He's talking over it throughout it. And so I just associate these things in my head and it will never change. And that's how it will always be. (laughs) They use the same video for this, which is, I guess you could say, well, they're just keeping in line with the movie. But the thing is, is that didn't they do that in the original out of necessity? Yeah, so, I mean, it's it's a radically shot 
because these infected are erratic. They're not your traditional zombies. This movie reintroduced the great debate of fast-moving zombies versus slow-moving zombies, or at least the original did. So in order to emphasize that, they have the shaky cam. It's sort of grainy footage because the first one was from 2002, you know, when HD wasn't really a big thing, although we're talking about film. But so you've probably seen a lot more grainy footage in that one than you would in this one that was made five years later. It's like they were trying to mimic that style. Yes. And mainly in the beginning. To, so so it's, it's kind of like, hey, remember the original? This is going to feel like the original. And then we're going to show you immediately afterwards that it's different and newer. And more time has passed, just like in real life. Carlisle's wife feels very motherly towards this young boy. So she decides that it's her duty to save him. But he is too scared to run in the moment that they have to get away from the the infected and Carlisle tries to get his wife to go and she just won't go and so she goes back to save the boy and Carlisle shuts the door on her yeah because and it's not like he's just like oh fuck you if you want to save the kid it's that the infective run in and now they're in between him and his wife and this little kid yes so he's like I could get in there and try to save you, but we'll probably die. Uh, so I'm just going to get out of here. And he closes the door behind him and runs away. The only reason he survived is because he ran away. Right. If he had stayed behind, he would have died. But things would have been a lot better for everyone. I guess. Based on this one decision. Well, if his kids hadn't been dicks, this wouldn't have happened. Right. But they wouldn't have been led to this if this if if he hadn't have done this. True. So, as he's running away out the house and, and across the the farmland trying to get away, he can see his wife in the window. And somehow she hasn't been devoured yet. He can get all the way out of the house and running through the yard and she hasn't been devoured yet. And, and then she gets pulled away out from view. And he's trying to say he's sorry. But we don't see her die on screen. And so that should be a big warning bell to anyone watching. Yes. And he runs away, and he and he's being chased the entire time, and he gets to the boat on the river, and there's somebody in it who's trying to get it started, and in the hullabaloo, Don, Robert Carlyle's character, gets on the boat, and the other guy who was already on the boat gets devoured, and then he gets away. Yes. And that's the intro. That's the hook for the movie. And then we get a timeline. Yeah, so then it says... 15 days later, Britain is quarantined. 28 days later, which is the original film, the mainland of Britain is destroyed. So I guess the day he woke up in the original is the day that they considered it to have collapsed. Right. When you see all the scattered trash throughout London and all that. So then it says, now this is the part that's confusing. Then it says, five weeks later... The infected have died from starvation, which implies that like, like a, week a week after the first movie. Yeah. So how many days did the first movie go over? I don't know. Right. And the original characters that survived in the first one, which is Killian Murphy's character, the woman and the little kid, they were kind of safe, just hoping to find, you know, somebody on a plane or whatever, save them. And that's how that one ended. We can assume that they are still alive, but we 
they never talk about these characters because they're kind of insignificant in the grand scheme of things from the perspective of the characters we have now. Yes. But we can assume they made it a week. I feel like it happened over longer a longer period of time. It's probably very closely after the first movie because what it's it's one week later and the, the first movie took place over a couple of days. There's at least two nights in the in the first movie, maybe even three. So they didn't have to wait long before all the infected would starve. Then it says 11 weeks later, NATO enters led by Americans. 18 weeks later, Britain is declared free of infection. 24 weeks later, reconstruction begins. And then we have 28 weeks later, which is when the children show up. So yeah, America's running things now and they're managing the quarantine in London and this is when we say hello to Jeremy Renner and hello to Rose Byrne. Yeah, so Rose Byrne is a is an American military doctor. She's Australian. Jeremy Renner is a, an American military sniper and Idris Elba is a captain or general and he's running from the military perspective, he's running this quarantine. Interestingly, British. he's British and playing he's playing an American. American. <laughs> yeah, there are also a few announcements, communication that happens over radios and stuff like that that are like, oh, that's a British person doing an American accent, 100%. <laughs> it's, it's, it's almost like those 80-yard lines are – they didn't put a lot of effort in finding actual Americans to speak these lines. But I might be wrong. Who knows? Maybe they're just bad actors. But so Rose Byrne is not happy that children are now being allowed to be brought in? Yeah, there are two kids. Which it does seem like a pretty big deal. I mean, I think that it's a big, stupid idea to in start bringing people in this uh -huh. quickly anyway, but... It takes them an entire day to clear out one plane full of people. So they, they're doing a lot of work to, to check on all incoming people. And it's like, oh, this, this life sounds familiar. A little bit, you know? Mm-hmm. So she checks out the little boy, and they mention that he has heterochromia, which I don't think they ever actually call. They just talk about how, oh, it's a genetic thing when you have two different colored eyes. Mm -hmm. And he's like, yeah, my mom had it too. And then his sister, Imogen Poots, is also there. And we find out that they're actually Robert Carlyle's kids. Yes. The ones that they had sent to some school trip uh, before the outbreak, and they're finally allowed back in. So, Robert Carlyle uh, collects them, takes them to their new apartment, explains that they're going to eventually move into a house, and the kids finally ask what happened to mom. Yeah, first they're upset that they're never going back to the old house, and then they want to know what happened to mom. He says, well, sit down and I'll explain it to you. And he doesn't really explain much, just that, oh, yeah, they were in this house, they shared it with other uh, families, and then they were attacked, and she was killed in the attack. And the son says, isn't there anything you could have done? And he says, no. Yeah, he, he basically insinuates that he saw her die. Yes. He actually, I think he says that he saw her die. I tried to go back. She was already gone. Which is not true. He saw her get pulled away from the window. Right. We also get to know Jeremy Renner a little bit better. He's good friends with the helicopter pilot Flynn, who's Mercutio from Romeo plus Juliet, Baz Luhrmann's <laughs> Romeo plus Juliet, uh, Harold Perrineau. I was very excited. He yeah. should be in more movies. <laughs> he really should be. He, he was in The Matrix. Yes, he was. And the kid has a dream about his mother. 
Yeah, which kind of doesn't come back. No. I figured they'd do more with the dream stuff, but no, this is this is a little it. And then the next day, the kids fucking want to go back to their home to get some of their stuff. And they somehow think no one's going to notice. Right. They get right past the quarantine line where Jeremy Renner sees them. Immediately. Immediately. But doesn't do anything to stop them. Well, he's not going to shoot them. Right. So he tells the helicopter pilot, Flynn, oh, we have two people who broke quarantine. And he's like, dogs or something like that? And he's like, no, puppies. So he, he tells them that they're kids. And then they're, like, cheering down the street. They find a, a go-kart off of a dead body. Covered Not a go-kart. A, um, a moped. A moped, yes. Uh, yeah, they find a dead body covered in cockroaches, and she manages to find the keys. And so now they're riding the moped back to home. And I wrote down, are you kidding me? The kids breaking quarantine on day fucking two is what starts this. Yep. Are you kidding me? Mm-hmm. So sure enough, they manage to get home, and while they're looking through all the stuff, the son, right? It's the son that goes upstairs, and he sees that it's obvious somebody's been living there. There's all this rotten canned food and stuff yeah, like that everywhere. Yeah, he sees maggots and stuff. Yeah, and then he sees that there's somebody behind the bed in the room, and when he gets a closer look, he can tell it's his mom. Now, she looks a little worse for wear, but we see her heterochromia as well, that Eyes that are two different colors. Mm-hmm. And so we know it's his mom. And she's she looks a little feral. And remember, this is like seven months later. And she grabs him and holds him and she starts crying. And then she's like squeezing him and pulling at him. And he's starting to get really scared. And we're starting to wonder... Is she infected? Mm-hmm. But she's not devouring him. Mm-hmm. But he's obviously scared and she's hurting him. And right as she he's trying to get out, the daughter's trying to get to them too, is when the American military busts in and gets no, them out. No, they run outside and the American the, military the, is they there. They have their guns trained on them and everything. And then Flynn tells Renner, found your puppies. I'd also like to point out that on the ride over there, they kept doing this thing with the camera. It was like flashing and zooming in on the kids. It got real dumb. Well, it's real that quick. it's that kinetic cinematography thing that they're going for. That, I did that not like it. Did the first one a lot of favors? Yes, but not this one. No, because now it feels. It feels like they're doing it just because it was done in the first one. Exactly. Like they don't really have an idea of why it worked in the first one. Exactly. So everyone gets taken back, and the mom gets investigated. And Rose Byrne is like, oh, she's been bitten. But, and I can see that she's infected, but she's not changed. So she's a carrier, but she's immune to it. So this could be big. We need to. It could produce a vaccine. Right. Yeah, it could be anything. And Idris Elba is like, yeah, you can do all the investigation you want once she's dead. Now, they're the only two so far that know she's a carrier. Meanwhile, Robert Carlyle goes to see his kids because he's told they're putting they're putting a new quarantine effectively. And they're like, you told us she was dead. You told us you saw her die. And he's trying to explain, I, I don't know what to tell you. I thought I did see her die. I wouldn't lie to you about something like this, which we know he did. Mm-hmm. So what did you two think of playing on? You said you saw her die. What? You said you saw her die. I didn't say that. You did. You said you saw her die. You did. Baby, I didn't use those words. But this is, 
don't, I, I don't know. I mean, it's, it's confusing, you know. It's, it's very hard for you to imagine, you know. It's, I, it's, it's too hard to explain. Try to explain it, Dad. Try. Try what you want me to say. I thought I saw Mum die. I wouldn't have told you that. I was sure. And then he goes to see the wife, and he apologizes. He's like, "I'm so sorry." I, 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 you know, whatever he's making excuses and he's like, will you please forgive me? And she says, I love you, Don. And he smiles and they go to, he's thankful that, oh, maybe that means she forgives me. And he goes to kiss her and she like bites his lip and spits in his mouth and basically infects him. And then he goes. I don't think that's exactly what happened. I think they were just kissing and the saliva. I don't think she forgave him. I think she was plenty happy to. to, I don't think she knew she was a carrier necessarily, but she did not like him. I don't think so. I think I felt that way the first time I saw it. This time, though, I. I This is the first time I've seen it, so maybe you're right. Closer, and it seemed like she really did. Just want to move on? Yeah. Yeah, maybe. But either way, good intentions or not. Right. He gets infected and 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 he goes feral. And then he he tries to stop himself, but he can't and he ends up just smashing her face in and killing her and then getting out. He does the eye gouging and everything. Yes, which is right out of the first movie again. They find out that an infected person has gotten out. They execute Code Red. A bunch of uh, soldiers die. Rose Byrne immediately grabs the kids and tries to get them to safety. But in all the chaos and the craziness, the kid ends up getting swept up by the crowd. Yeah. Now, she's making a leap in logic here that the heterochromia is tied to the immunity to the virus. But there's nothing here that says that. Only that. It could be biological, like it could be genetic, rather, and that he and his mom both had heterochromia. They're not, it's just a correlation. We don't know that necessarily those two things are are actually linked together. But she assumes that, okay, the wife is dead now, maybe the kid has immunity too. And so that's why she really wants to save him. But they, you're right, they get separated. Robert Carlyle sees him. And breaks through the door that he's at into the crowd. And this is how things just start spreading really, really wildly. Because they've locked everybody in somewhere in the subway line. Well, they're going to safe rooms. But he still manages to break in. Well, they try to go. They open a door on the other side because things are getting crowded. And that's the door that Robert Carlyle was behind. And that's how he gets into one of these safe rooms. And then... He just starts infecting people. Pretty sure he breaks through the door. But what I mean is the people in charge lock them somewhere and they say it's for your safety. Yes, those are safe rooms. Oh. They're like little quarantine rooms inside of quarantine rooms. It's basically they're locking them up to, to reduce exposure, but it doesn't help. Yeah, it felt very much like Titanic. Yes. And then people start evacuating the quarantine and running out, but infected people are getting in the mix, and the snipers are trying to take out the infected people as they go, killing soldiers as they get attacked so they don't turn uh, or suffer. And 
this is when Idris Elba gives the, like, the all clear to kill literally everyone. Abandon, selective targeting. Shoot everything. Targets are now free. We've lost control. Oh man, this is FUBAR. Yeah, there's that line. It's delivered so piss poor. Oh man, this is FUBAR. <laughs> so bad. If you don't know, FUBAR stands for Fucked Up Beyond All Recognition, which everyone knows because we've all seen Saving Private Ryan. <laughs> but before all that happens, the boy is able to crawl on top of people. Yeah, and he gets into some vents. He gets into and that's the how air he duct. Escapes. Yeah, that's how he escapes. Did you believe for a second that he would be able to just crawl on top of people? Not really. It was unbelievable. Yeah. Once Idris Elba gives that all clear, Jeremy Renner kind of has it. He can't. He tries to kill random people, and he just can't do it. So well, yeah, and then he he sees the kid, one of the two kids. I can't remember which, and he's like, "Nope, can't do it," and he just. Gets off the roof. Yeah, so he ends up running down. He ends up finding them all in a uh, warehouse. The kids get reunited, And Rose Byrne is there, and there are a couple other survivors. And Jeremy Renner's like, all right, you guys are going to follow me, and I'm going to take you um, to safety. Well, very quickly, a bunch of them get killed. Yes. (laughs) And then he finds out that in four minutes, they're going to blow the city up. They're going to carpet bomb the city, yeah. So... He ends up... Oh, somewhere around here, the kid thinks he sees Robert Carlyle. Yeah. Maybe he does. Maybe he does. And Robert Carlyle doesn't attack. No. And I'm like, oh, no, this is going to be that a father's love prevents him from killing or whatever. It kind of implies some of that a little bit later, but not as strongly as I was worried about. So there is a sniper who's firing on them at one point. And Jeremy Renner tells one of the survivors, okay, you're going to need to go out there and zigzag. He won't be able to hit you, but I'll be able to spot where he is and I'll kill him. And dude's like, he refuses. No, but they know they have no time before these bombs come through. And so the kid just runs out. And serpentine, serpentine. (laughs) (laughs) And he lasted longer than Rickon Stark did. Yes, he did. And Renner is able to kill the sharpshooter. Yes. And at one point after the carpet bomb, they they carpet bomb the streets, Flynn, because he gets in contact with Jeremy Renner and they get on a private channel, Flynn tells him they're going to gas the place. They're going to drop gas in all the streets and everything. And he he says, how long? And Flynn says, 60. Jeremy Renner says, what, minutes? And Flynn says, no. Seconds. Yeah. I'm like, oh God. Why nobody talks to each other like that? Yeah, nobody talks like that. Oh, it's so really bad. bad. Mm-hmm. Keep a lookout, okay? With confirmed sighting of infected that have escaped the firebomb. Give me an ETA. About 60. Minutes? No. Seconds. But yeah, they the the smoke comes in and they end up finding a car that they get into. And as long as it takes them to get into that car, they could have outrun the smoke. But it won't start. So Jeremy Renner has to sacrifice himself. Yes. To get out behind the car, run behind it, push it. They end up lighting Jeremy Renner on fire. Yeah, the military comes through with flamethrowers in the fog, just like the mist. They're wearing these... Oh, we skipped... Masks. We we, we skipped the helicopter thing. Yes, we'll go back to that. But they're wearing masks... 
in the fog carrying flamethrowers. And I'm like, oh, this is the end of the mist. <laughs> but yes, there is a moment where Flynn can't land, but he tries to save them by dropping the nose of the helicopter and running the helicopter blade through all the infected. Well, no. At first, he's just pissed because he's like, who the fuck are all these people? We'll get shot out of the sky if I try to take people in. Uh-huh. And during that kerfuffle, the scared guy runs up and grabs onto the thing, which pisses Mercutio off. Uh-huh. And he tries to get him off, and then, they st- and then the infected start to attack. So then he is forced to slice yeah. them up with his thing, which ends up killing the scared guy. Which is unbelievable but cool (laughs) but the point is they need to basically land in Wembley because it's the safest place right it's a it's a big open area that's protected on all sides that the helicopter can drop down into and and pick them up that's the end goal here but then the kids are in the car and there's like a chase scene where they're like chasing the they're being chased by the fog kind of yeah and they they wind up driving down into the parking structure or the the tube line or whatever that leads to Wembley Stadium and all the electricity's out so they can't see anything but Roseburn has Jeremy Renner's sniper rifle which so has got night scope. vision on the scope so she is looking through the scope trying to guide them through utter pitch black darkness. That was kind of a fun scene. I loved that idea. I thought that was cool. It was really, really cool. One person guiding the whole group and we can see, but they can't. And it was a great way of doing that. I thought that that was really cool. And then we see like what appears to be Robert Carlyle or somebody walking around in the background looking for them. Well, they end up falling down the stairs because there's so many dead people there. Yeah. And they get separated, but it's not so, clear why. Wouldn't they have just collected down at the bottom of the stairs? It's really fucking dumb. Yes. Rose Byrne is shouting for these children who just don't say anything. And who they all they did was fall down the, the escalator. She ends up finding the girl. She's been shouting the kid's name. She uh-huh. ends up finding the girl. The girl says nothing about the fact that, oh, sorry, didn't hear you or anything right. like that. Just, hey. Yeah. I was just choosing to ignore you. But the boy. To create a creepy atmosphere. The boy, nothing. Yeah. Uh, until ultimately Robert Carlyle catches Rose Byrne and smashes her face in with the rifle, I think. With the butt of the gun. Yeah. yeah. And kills her. And Imogen Poots is forced to kill him somehow. So then they go through the subway or whatever to get to Wembley and they. They end up making it there where Flynn has landed the helicopter. Yeah, and so the dad has bit his son, and so the son is infected, but because he's got the mom's blood, he doesn't show the symptoms. And Imogen Poots was forced to kill her dad because of that. And they don't tell Mercutio that the kid has been bitten, which Uh ends up leading to their death. Because we will end up seeing their helicopter has gone down. We do? Uh Uh-huh. And I don't remember that. Mercutio's dead inside of it. Oh, okay. And they bring it to France. But I wrote down here, him finding them in the subway is even worse than when Andy saw him earlier in the streets, if that was real. How did he, Don, Robert Carlyle's character, as an infected, and no one else find exactly them? How is he 
still alive and no other infected around are still alive. Do not tell me this father's love or pull towards his kid bullshit because that pisses me off. It's magic, basically. And I hate it. I hate it. I hate it. Thanks. I hate it. Thanks. I hate it. But anyway, yes, we get over the credits that the infection spreads to Paris. Yes. And that's the end of the movie. Yes. Do you have any lightning round stuff, Kelsey? I thought the movie was decent. I thought the ending could have been a lot better. I don't know. It sucks to watch dickhead characters make dickhead choices. Yeah. There wasn't as much character development as there could have been. The one fully developed character halfway through the movie becomes an infected, and then all of a sudden he's a magic infected. (laughs) That was kind of annoying. Love is the greatest magic of all, Chris. The most powerful magic of all. True love. Uh Uh-huh, even though he ends up trying to kill his son. (laughs) Yeah, I don't... (sighs) It's not nearly as good as the first one. No, not at all. It tries to recapture the magic and it just doesn't succeed. Where it really succeeds is in the first half after the intro when it's all new stuff and we get the quarantine zone and life has changed, but it's moved on and it's new and it's unique and it's nothing like the first movie. And I liked all that stuff. And then the virus breaks out and now we have these American soldiers who are good now because the soldiers in the last one were evil. Well, Idris Elba is kind of evil. It's not evil. He's just practical. Yeah. In the original, they're manic rapists. Like, it's not okay. And it it doesn't provide as, I mean, that's the only moral quandary about the whole thing. There's that and then the one Robert Carlyle gets to. But you don't feel like anything that happens to Robert Carlyle comes at the expense of his initial decision. Uh, everything that happens to the world does, but not necessarily anything that hap- re- happens related to Robert Carlyle. And then we have Idris Elba, who, after he gives the the all clear, we just don't see him the rest of the fucking movie. True. It's just, it doesn't feel as whole or complete or developed as the first one. And the first one's just really tight and intimate and... It had the same impact with the action scenes, but the family scenes seemed like they were more substantial. I don't know. It just, it's almost like the thing everyone remembers from this movie is the intro scene where Robert Carlyle leaves his wife behind. Yes. That's all anyone seems to remember about this movie. And it's what really stands out. And that's like the first 10 minutes of the movie. And then you got to watch the rest of the movie. (laughs) And it just gets progressively more like a off-brand version of the original as the time goes on. I think because it's such a shocking moment when he shuts the door. Yeah. And it happens so quickly. I think it felt like, whoa. I think also part of you is like, can I say that I wouldn't do that? I think I wouldn't, like, if if you were on the other side of that infected, I can't imagine doing that. But I can imagine being put in a situation where I would be forced to, you know, and that it, it, it makes you think, you know. I mean, I would try to find weapons and try to help you. Right. Right. I wouldn't just go after him with my bare hands. That would be dumb. Yeah. But, like, at the very least, you don't need to kill them or win in battle. You just need to get your wife out of the room. Yeah. 
So anyway, what do you think it has on Rotten Tomatoes? I know. 71? 71. While 28 Weeks Later lacks the humanism that made 28 Days Later a classic, it's made up with fantastic atmosphere and punchy direction. I mean, the direction is punchy, but it's not as quality as the first one Yeah, I don't know if that makes it good. that one was really punchy. Mm -hmm. Like the fight between Killian Murphy and the main actress? Yes. Like that's, that's an incredible scene. Yes. Metacritic of 78. Do you think the movie is overrated or underrated? At Rotten Tomatoes 71, Metacritic 78. I think 71 is pretty much perfect. Is that what you would give it? Yes. So when we first rated the first one, we weren't giving numbers out. Kelsey said an A minus. And I actually didn't rate it at all. So I put that one down as being a 91 in our little ledger here. This would be 20 points less. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think I'll I think I'll match yours. I think 71 is a good point. It's not bad. No. It just doesn't stand out nearly as much as the first one does. Not at all. Which is kind of a bummer. All right, anyway, that is this week's episode, Zombie Week and Filling Out Franchise Week with 1968's Night of the Living Dead and 2007's 28 Weeks Later. What are we watching next week, Kelsey? Next week is April Fool's. Yes, yes, yes. (laughs) So next week we will be watching an 80s movie called Killer Party. Okay. Killer Party was supposed to be called The April Fool's, I think I want to say. But they were worried that it would be confused with another movie that was coming out the same year called... April April Fool's Fool's Day, Day. which is the one we've already covered. Make sure you watch the right one, because it's one of our favorite holiday horror movies. It's a lot of fun. Not our favorite, but one of. So they changed this one to Killer Party, because there is a party. But oh my god, this movie, we've already watched it. It takes a turn towards the end. It is is fascinating by that measure alone. (laughs) It is not a better movie, but it is fascinating. And most of the movie doesn't even take place on April Fool's Day. But anyway, what's the other movie we're watching? Cry Wolf. Cry Wolf. Mm-hmm. I imagine it's about a werewolf. No. As far okay. as I know, it's about a person who had a prank gone wrong. Oh, uh, yeah. And, okay. And it's revenge. But we've never seen it. So yes, we'll see how it goes. All right, that is next week. Until then, you can always reach us at podcemetery.com, where you can get a list of every episode we've had and an alphabetical list of every movie we've covered. So you can find a movie that you like and then listen to that associated episode and get through our back catalog that way. Don't forget to subscribe in your podcatcher of choice, rate and review. A five-star written review is the biggest help you can do for us there. Uh, follow us on Twitter, at podcemetery and... Instagram, where I need to post more, but they don't make it easy. We often put a lot of extra details. Like, I've already posted on Twitter details about the Caribbean zombie history there and where that comes from that we talked about earlier in this episode. So if you want to hear more about that, uh, make sure you're following us on Twitter at Pod Cemetery. Don't forget to share us with your friends because that is such a tremendous help. And you know what? We want to thank each and every one of you for listening in the GD first place. We love you. 
Until next week, I've been Chris. I've been Kelsey. And this has been Pod Cemetery. But before we go, Kelsey, any last words? Step one, kill the infected. Step two, containment. If containment fails, then step three, extermination. I don't want to be buried in a big cemetery. I don't want to live my life again. To the sacred place This ain't a dream I can't escape Smolders and fangs that are picking up bones Spirits moaning among the tombstones uh, Which is 1968's The Night of the Living Dead It's not Night of the Living It's, it's just Night of the Living Dead <laughs> It's not the night? No Little continuity error here the headlight that gets smashed in this scene shows up later, unsmashed. It's a dumb thing. Who cares? <laughs> no, I'm good. Not from the school trip, but because everything was quarantined, they were trapped in Italy or something like that. I no, think. America. Oh, maybe not. I, I don't, don't know. F- I don't fucking know. Anyway. Just so you know. Did you count how many times I yawned or something? Oh, God, no. I wish I did. (laughs) You were just nonstop yawning. I did not score 28 days later. You gave it an A minus, so I marked it down as a 91 for the original, just so you know. That's really funny. You want to say that again when you're not yawning? That's really funny.